This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, it was all looking so promising for Manchester City. A late winner against Southampton after not playing that well. And while Liverpool were losing at Aston Villa, only for us all to check our phones on leaving the Etihad to see that somehow the league leaders had scored twice in the final few minutes. Then all you need in the build-up to the most important game of the season is a nice, comfortable victory in an unimportant match that you're dominating. Enter stage left, an injured goalkeeper, his replacement getting himself sent off, and absolute carnage in the San Siro. City's motto really does seem to be, if it's not broken, then break it. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where we're we're reviewing the games against Southampton and Atalanta and previewing the annual defeat at Liverpool. What will it be this time? Another set of wonder strikes, another dreadfully flat performance or another refereeing nightmare that City succumbed to on Merseyside? The anticipation is killing me already. Also on today's show, we're going to hear from former City winger Kiki Masampa as he explains about racial abuse he's suffered as a player and gives his backing to Raheem Sterling and others who've been vocal on the topic in recent months. Howard Hawkins back as well, wondering why Guardiola's been a bit grumpy recently. And we've got your questions in Ask the Panel too. I'm your host, David Mooney. With me this week is the MEN Simon Bakowski. Hello. And from Mailsport, we've got Jack Gorn. How are you doing? I'm not so bad. I think uh, I think more, how are you two doing? Because you've literally flown home from the San Siro this morning. Not. Not great. <laughs> I've not slept, so yeah. I, I might be even even more sluggish than I normally am. It's not a problem. Simon, are you, have you I am got sl- a bit of kipping? I'm slightly better than Jack, and I'm slightly ashamed of the amount of times I laughed at Jack's travel route home last <laughs> night. Yeah. So sorry. I was... Go on, fill us in, you've got flight it. Flight home was five to seven this morning. I just, went, yeah, I just went straight through. Simon, I mean, one question I do have to ask is my sources tell me that you're quite the karaoke fiend. Were you, were you out last night or anything? No, no, we were at the San Siro. After that, though? That no, 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 it was... Um, a couple of quiet ones, didn't we? It was, it was a chaotic game, wasn't it? Um, it, was, it was the sort that shreds you your fingers as you're furiously writing things and uh, I'd been to the youth league game in the afternoon where so you were ready for bed when, were, <laughs> when it was where, over where there were no plug sockets and then got to the San Siro where there were pretty much no plug sockets so um, I was I was flat in every sense excellent well uh, as was the beer well I hope to uh, I hope to uh, to, to uh, bring uh, bring the mood up a little bit because actually I thought what happened last night was quite funny. <laughs> you know, in a weird, in a, in a strange sense. It seems like only City could have this situation where just get a nice, unimportant, comfortable game out of the way ahead of one of the biggest games of the season. And it just, uh, and chaos just happened. Well, I'm glad you found it funny. <laughs> glad someone found it funny. It, 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 it was an absurd game of football. Well, let's let's talk goalkeepers to start with. Um, first off, what do, do we, we know? Well, yeah. <laughs> first off, what do we know about the uh, about the injury to Edison? Are we? Uh, is it likely to be worse than feared? I mean, we know that obviously this will go out Thursday night, Friday morning. Press conference happens after that; it could all change. But the uh, feeling, as it stands, what are we? Three o'clock on a Thursday on on Thursday is that they're pretty pessimistic about him playing on Sunday. Excellent. That's uh, music to my ears. <laughs> but he will be given. Every chance to kind of prove prove his fitness, and I don't know, you'd be you'd be sending him out on crutches, wouldn't you? 
<laughs> to be honest. It was, I mean, Simon, it was a precaution. And, like, I'd be honest with you, I, when I heard that Bravo was warming up, I was I, I was thinking, oh, no, I hope it's nothing big. And then you hear it's a precaution. You think, oh, actually, that's, that's probably okay. And then, you know, when you hear it's a muscle injury, you think, hmm, maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean, he's an absolute tank, isn't he, Edison? And he's not missed a game for City through injury, which includes playing at Feyenoord three days after Sadio Mane boosted him in the face. <laughs> Forgot about that, but yeah. So it, he can pull through, but it is, it's just the extent of of the muscle injury. And if it's... Yeah, if, if he didn't feel comfortable enough to continue, then it, it's a worrying sign because normally he, he plays through. He plays through everything. Yeah. yeah. The precaution element came from pitch side to one of the television reporters. Right. So I wonder with the when someone from the bench said it was a precaution maybe it was just a kind of they were just keeping the lid on things par, yeah palming them off a little yeah. bit um, I don't think it's not a particularly serious one I just it's it's just very, Sunday that's, that's Sunday, Sunday, is very, yeah. Sunday is very touch and go yeah, yeah. Um, let's I mean I want to talk about Claudio Bravo because you uh, always want to talk I about always Claudio do, yeah, Bravo you do um, it felt at the start of this season with the Community Shield and you know the the way he'd been involved in in the League Cup campaigns recently, it felt like his stock was beginning to rise. And with then who? and then that happened. <laughs> with who? That, that was there was a kind of the um, Carabao Cup crew. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean. He, he like he'd not done anything comical for a while. Well, I have to say, surprised me in the Community Shield because in the tour games this summer that nobody saw because they weren't broadcast anywhere or <laughs> apps broke or whatever. It's months on, Simon. It, it, you've, you've got to let it go, mate. He was, <laughs> he, he was bad. He, he was um, right. It was exactly as it was last night. He come, he plays and there is just panic in the defence and they are instantly sort of less solid. Um, so to see him then play very well in the Community Shield, you're like, all oh, right, maybe he was just sort of just warming up. Yeah. He was just warming up in many ways um, <laughs> to, to the main event. That I happened. mean, I mean, I will say, I didn't think he played too terribly last night. Um, For 20 minutes. Like, <laughs> like, 20, I, I take massive issue with that. <laughs> as, as, as in, um, the script is written, isn't it? He comes on, he concedes from his first shot on target. <laughs> the hologram is back. He then gets sent off. Um... I, I think it's a red card, but others have contested whether it was a red card. I know Arsene Wenger said the uh, attacker should have been booked for simulation. Um, but you could not have written a sort of more comical script for Bravo. And the story didn't fully say that, but it, it's just the way he is now. It, everything happens like that with him, it seems. Jack, you take issue. It was a dreadful performance. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. From start to finish, actually. Blameless for the goal. Could it, well, could he have come for the cross? That. Could he have come for the cross? I, I, uh, I, from, I've only seen it back once, so I can't remember if it was, it was close to him or not. It was swinging away, wasn't I think it? it would be harsh. Yeah. To, yeah. To Although, having said, you know, the way he was reacting to balls that he couldn't reach for the rest of the game, maybe he should have come for it, I don't know. <laughs> but the, two, so two minutes into the second half, before they'd even conceded, oh, yeah. there's a yeah. uh, Atlanta attacking, and they've gone, uh, the ball's gone towards the left-hand side of City's box. Bravo for no reason whatsoever comes charging out to go and try and get it gotta get involved gets halfway there realises oh no no it's alright I'll retreat so I thought oh, fair enough you know he's kind of assessed the situation gone back ten minutes after that after they conceded some 
random long ball just been punted into City's <laughs> half and he comes herring out like 25 yards and ends up connecting with a diving header that could have gone absolutely anywhere in the middle of his own half. You're thinking, right, okay. And then it, it is a red card. It's it doesn't it kind of actually doesn't matter whether it was a red card or not it was the decision to come for it was just was the bad bit yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's the fact that I mean I, I take his point if I'm going to foul a striker coming through on goal I don't use my head to do it and that's that's the bit of the that's the bit of him that connected with the player but it's like yeah only because his hand's got nowhere near yeah that's, that's, <laughs> so, so that's like, when you when you see it from behind like the judgement call is yeah like, it, it's he's, he's miles away from the ball yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't see what the, what the challenge is yeah, um, I'd, I'd like to revise my previous statement Jack's evidence. Why, why are you? Uh, you should stick. You know what it's like. You should have an opinion and stick well, to it. Well, I mean, clearly, <laughs> we've just established how much Jack watches the game and how much how much I watch it. <laughs> and you know, I've come here with a ring binder of facts. Kyle <laughs> so, yeah. um, Walker then ends up in goal. Um, it took a while for that to happen. Was there any any particular reason? City were adamant that they wanted the referee to check the VAR or something like that. Was that was that what was causing the hold, the hold up? Or? You know what? This was actually what I wasn't watching. So I had, so uh, the match port's got to be sent in on 80 minutes <laughs> for a night game. <laughs> Claudio Brava gets sent off in the 81st minute, so I've kind of got to redo the like top 300 words of an 800 word match report <laughs> and spent the next five minutes like looking down at my laptop <laughs> looked up and it was like 86 87 minutes like and nothing still changed there. what the hell's going on why is everyone just like looking around so I, I think the first part of the delay was because um it on the big screen it came up var check for red card um in the meantime i think the ref had had in his ear no it's a red card so it said you're off. You're off, and uh, and all the Atalanta players were saying get off because it was still on the big screen saying review. Bravo was sort of reluctant to show, showing like reservation for the first time in the night rather than <laughs> abandon. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, would have, you would have expected to charge for the tunnel. <laughs> um, and City were quite keen to say if there's a charge you can stay on, please stay on. Yeah. Um, but then uh, there seemed to be a few more minutes as well when Walker was just kind of waiting to go on and nothing was happening and Guardiola was getting a bit of aggro with Mr Gasparini and, and others but that's just kind of like standard for the course now. Yeah, fair play. Well, uh, let's hear from the hero of the week. Here's Kyle Walker with Benjamin Mendy speaking to BT Sports after the game with Atalanta. I say again thank you Kyle because it's very not easy to take this respons- responsibility Sorry, go and uh, on the big goalkeeper and save the free kick and uh, yeah, is uh, one game we we're gonna remember it for uh, for go forward on the on this uh, cup. Carl, did you volunteer or were you uh, chosen? Uh, I think it was a little bit of both. I try and sometimes banter the keepers in training, telling them to catch it and stuff. But as I found tonight, sometimes you do have to take two touches. And you made one very important save. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's all jokes aside. We came here to get, you know, a a, a point or a victory. We know it was going to be difficult because. They play man-to-man, they, they're a good team and they're in the Champions League for a reason. So it's come away from here with you know, how we ended the game with a draw. Is, it's a good point and you know, we'll take that on now. You had it such a great start as well with that Raheem goal. It looked like you were going to push on, but the second half it turned. Was it, was it the penalty miss that changed the mood? No, we know. We, we're going to score some penalty, miss some penalty. This is the football. And uh, 
we need to we need to be ready after what happened again on the the penalty. But I think we we defend well, we defend good, and uh, yeah, we need to look forward. It's not easy to to win here, and uh, yeah, we we are we are uh, happy. I think. Good game management towards the end to keep the ball down the other end. But is this the kind of preparation you would have wanted for the showdown against Liverpool this weekend? Yeah, I think, listen, both teams are very good teams. We were concentrating, you know, mainly on this game. Uh, we take one game at a time. Now, focus is on Liverpool for, for Sunday and we'll get our preparation, you know, recover. Lads who played, get their recovery in and, you know, we'll look forward to an exciting game. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Carl Walker and Benjamin Mendy speaking to BT Sports. Um, I bet Walker couldn't have expected the week he's had. Uh, assist for the first goal against Southampton, then scores the winner, and then ends up in goal in the midweek. Oh, amazing. I, I, apparently he was um, putting his hand up in, in training. It's like, if you need an extra goalkeeper, I'm here. I'll do it, yeah. And he's like, he gets involved in the sessions. Good for him. Like, messing about with the goalkeepers and whatever. Uh, so he obviously fancies should, himself. Should be practising his defending, shouldn't he? I, I'm sensing not, not because said it. Not because he, you know, needs to massively improve it. I was gonna I was gonna say I'm sensing that, that sort of comment then needs a follow up. You can't just throw that out there and then leave it. You should be, you know, practicing in your position, shouldn't you? You wanna be the best in your position. But if you've got your position sorted, why not have a going goal when, when situations like 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 he's he's in he's in a position now where in, in the midweek he can go, Yeah, you know what, I'm gonna come on and I'm gonna be a hero. As a goalkeeper, David, I'm not sure you're qualified to <laughs> not sure you can be impartial on this matter. But I also haven't mastered my position, so <laughs> like No don't do why? Don't do yourself don't do down. Yourself down. There's a reason why we call you the cat. Not for my goalkeeping ability, though, is it? Let's. I mean, <laughs> sorry, that was my fault. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel it. I, Se- segue back to serious. I, I shouldn't have. I, I shouldn't have got you in on very little sleep. I, I appreciate that, and I apologise for that. Oh, he's um, had loads, don't worry. Oh, that's, that's all right. Um, in all seriousness, though, he's had a great start to the season. Yes, I'll come in on this one. Seeing as I slagged him off just before, um, yeah. He's Can- responded to, to Cancelo, the level of Cancelo. I, yeah. I think we thought that Cancelo would play more than he has. And, I mean, Walker's been had to do more defensive work than he did have to because he's got to cover for the sort of lack of pace in, in the middle. And he got assist on the opening day at West Ham. He obviously pulled them out of trouble against Southampton. And it, it, it sort of it, it shows how well he's done that he didn't play against Atlanta, I think, because... Um, he did play against Atlanta. <laughs> well, not in his position though, because they wanted to, you know, keep him fresh for for Liverpool. Um, so, you know, for him to be such a key member of of the team, despite them bringing in what they saw as better competition for him, is uh, a credit to him. That's what he needed, though. A kick needed, on the backside. He needed competition. Someone I was talking to last week was saying, "You remember his dip in form last Christmas." Ish, yeah. I don't. Yes. I'm not. I don't fully remember. But and he was playing quite badly last Christmas, and that that was put down to um, a lack of competition. Him playing every week, no rotation, fatigue, and it just kind of it, all on top uh, of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it since kind of people at City are now calling Danilo a disastrous signing. Um, because they thought it was going to be really versatile and able to cover at left back and right back and defensive well, midfield. They said defensive thing, midfield, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Oh, I remember that one. They Three said defensive one. midfield for the pin at. Um, 
And then it quickly became clear that he wasn't going to be able to fill in at left back because his debut was at left wing back away at Brighton and he couldn't even stand on his left leg, let alone <laughs> kick a ball with it. Um, and he just offered Walker absolutely no competition whatsoever, which was to Walker's detriment. And since Can- Cancelo's come in, he's kind of upped it. And the feeling is that he does he does need that kind of someone behind him pushing him. Um, so that's been a really positive, positive thing for him. And then from a Cancelo point of view, he's probably more adept at filling in than Danilo, Danilo was. When he needs to. Yeah. Looking at the game on Sunday briefly, because we are, I mean, we're going to look at it in a bit more depth a bit later on. Um, has Guardiola got a genuine selection headache now? I saw some mischievous person tweet about the uh, number of goals each has conceded <laughs> against Liverpool, was it? Yeah, Walker's never conceded a goal against Liverpool. When playing in goal, obviously. Playing like that, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately for Kyle Walker, the, the pink kit doesn't suit him. So that's what's probably going to rule it in Bravo's yeah. way. It wasn't yeah. the full pink kit, though, was it? Was he still wearing th- his... He was wearing his outfield mm. shorts and it worked well. It worked well with the outfield shorts and socks, <laughs> I thought. There's an improvement on the outfield shirt. Lost, anyway. pro- lost property <laughs> FC. Yeah. Um, on a more serious note, though, I want to, I want to talk about uh, City killing off games because in all of the nonsense that happened in the San Siro, let's not forget that City should have killed off the game at 1-0. They had chances, they had a penalty that they missed. Is it becoming a problem that they're not doing it? It's been a pro- this is they've always scored loads and loads of goals on the Guardiola, but Guardiola's kind of quite consistently bemoaned a lack of cutting edge and saying they're not clinical enough, which is like it's bizarre, hilarious, <laughs> yeah. really. But in As a certain point. games, he does have a point, and Wednesday night was was a case in point. Kind of penalty doesn't go in. Uh, Gundogan missed a really good chance. There was, a, there was, a, couple the of, there was yeah. a couple of times Sterling got to the byline and put it into the middle, and you're thinking it just needs a finish. Yeah. And each time it went over the bar, or it, the, they found the goalkeeper, or just something. It's it's strange because they kind of, apart from the first five minutes, they had complete dominance um, of that first half, and they probably created about six or seven decent opportunities, be it kind of actual efforts or getting into. Uh, the sort of space where they should have fashioned um, a good chance. I don't really know what it is. I mean, it would would every would every team be like that if they had as much of the ball and territorial advantage as City do? I don't know. I, I honestly don't Liverpool, know. I mean, Liverpool are not too dissimilar. They do play a little bit more. It's a little bit more intense in the in getting to the final third. If you know what I mean, it's it's a lot more based on the pace of the forwards than it is than City's mm. is. I, I thought the midfield were a bit lacking against Atalanta. I thought De Bruyne and Bernardo were a bit sort of below the best and maybe that missing creativity. But they, they also seem to be a bit feast and famine this season, more than they were last season. So you, they either tonk teams like against Watford or West Ham or something, or they sort of really struggle to take their chances. Against like against Southampton, for instance. They, but yeah. well, Southampton's a different story because they didn't really create that much in that game. Well, they they put a lot of crosses into the box, um, which isn't creating chances. But they they did have enough of the ball. They just kind of didn't didn't do a lot with it. I felt like they created a lot more, say, than they did against Wolves. A Southampton game was like watching a Graham Wesley or a John Beck team, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Chuck it in, Chuck it into the big man. who's about five foot six. Yeah, it, it worked in the end. Yeah, I saw a uh, low cross. Angelino was very high up on crosses, wasn't he? He's met. It, he put in how many? Twenty-two. 22 he yeah. put in, so he's like 
up there for the season, but he's only actually played one game. It must be it must be close to a Premier League record that for one game. You'd think so, yeah. Well, that's the, David Moyes. With the crosses, there is like a there's a theory, uh, and it's kind of more in the lower leagues really than the kind of top end. But the amount of I think they call it the amount of entries into the box you make, i.e., kind of throwing get, crosses. Get it in the mixer. Yeah, basically, yeah, effectively, yeah. They say if you make kind of. If your numbers are high in that, then you will, you will score goals. Is that law of averages though? Is that it kind the, of is, like, isn't it? Yeah. But that's what it seemed like they were kind of resorted to a little but, bit. But the problem with City is that I, I always feel like City don't really do that well when the ball's a percentage ball because they tend to not win the first ball. They tend to win the knockdowns or they tend to win or pick it up after the you know the first header sort of thing. Yeah, they're so, always playing for the second yeah, ball, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. So but, like, it just feels like there's very little point in trying that. But then in De Bruyne and sort of the Mendy of last season, you have two of the best crosses of the ball into a box where they can score directly. So if you've got those players, use them. Okay, fair enough. I mean, the other side of it is, over the last two games I want to talk about, is the defending, because it doesn't feel like the opposition have had that many chances and don't need that many to score. No, they kind of... Um, for the goal against Atalanta, they got stretched way too easily. I've, not, actually, he, I've, not, he, I've not seen it back, but I think there was like a... A massive gap between the centre halves and the midfield, and the fact that that he ghosted in at the back post completely, yeah. yeah, without anybody's attention. Yeah, I think Edison has been really good this season, apart from the errors against Southampton and Spurs. But I think he's been really good, and I'm not sure whether he's been better than he has last season, or he's been more exposed by the defence. So we're just seeing him make more saves because he's because he's had to. He's because he's had to, yeah. Because opposition are creating better opportunities. Yeah, there was two in a week, weren't there? There was two massive, massive Edison performances in a week. The first one was at Palace. Yeah, we made two uh, Villa, I think, was it? Uh, yeah, but Everton, Everton was, was excellent as, I mean, as well. One of the man, uh, yeah, yeah, one, yeah, one yeah, of the candidates for man of the match. Carl and, uh, Lewin and yeah. but yeah, Palace and Villa. I mean, the Palace one, he made two stunning saves last ten minutes. Benteke, you know, I'm not that header. Yeah, yeah. Bravo, without wanting to come back to it, Bravo's, <laughs> Bravo's in goal. Yeah, doesn't happen, does it? And, and City, they might, have, they might have drawn that game. At yeah, Palace. City had battered Palace, but could have drawn two too if Edison hadn't made those saves. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other side of it is how much of of this defensive, or how many of the, how much of the defensive problems comes down to injuries because. They've they've they're certainly missing Laporte. They've not had you know Otamendi's and Stones have had their time out. They've had to move Fernandinho. Rodri's now not there in the midfield as well. It feels like it's held together by sticky tape. Yeah, I think sort of one hundred and four percent of their problems are down to injuries. But can you can you say that? Uh, wow, it's a bit of a yeah. Why one hundred and four percent? Sorry, Jack. I was going to let that go, but you know, it's, you're right. We need to. I can pin tell him. you why. Because <laughs> he's had four sips of that beer, that's why. Um, yeah, I mean Laporte is the big injury miss, but then you forget, like Stones has only started a few league games because he's he's been injured for most of the season and he wasn't getting in the first team at the end of last season anyway. You, you can't account for the sort of the individual mistakes of players, and that's obviously a problem. But I just think, like you say, it just feels like. They get one player fit and then another one goes down and he comes across Fernandinho and Rodri at the back and then Rodri goes and it, it's one problem after another and you're never going to have that stability when you've got such inconsistency in 
selection, I guess. So why is that 104%? Just, you know, 100% and then some. Right, okay. The Stone, they've had issues with Stones. Stones' personal problems have been quite well documented and people kind of, I suppose supporters and people who watch the games wouldn't, and we wouldn't kind of, I don't know, factor in I'll what's kind of going on. For that. Yeah. No, you're not, you're not going to, are you? Because you just see him on a Saturday um, and you assume that... That, that we, okay everyone and, yeah. assumes they're just robots and but he's had like for the last well, I'd be getting on for 12 months I think he's had just so much upheaval in his personal life and it you know he's, he seems quite a sensitive sensitive guy in the limited dealings we've had with him um, and it will you know that sort of thing will will affect him for, from Six's point of view they could do without it really because it's quite critical at the moment. Otamendi's kind of reverted back to type. <laughs> yeah, a little bit after like two good seasons. Mm, Eighteen months. Yeah. Um Laporte It goes it goes back to Harry Maguire. <laughs> why why wouldn't you just pay the extra ten million pounds for it? If that if that's who you wanted, I'm not saying that Harry Maguire would solve the issues. Would but... solve every issue. Um or is worth them? Well, he's certainly not worth the money that United paid for him. But if Pep Guardiola wanted him, and the kind of quibbling over Tep, what's the what's the point? I don't I just don't understand it. If that was the uh, and there was the feeling was in on tour in in Asia when they weren't sure whether they're going to get him or not. It was like he's going to be the difference between us being able to go for all four trophies or kind of start prioritising. And I think you've seen in the in the League Cup specifically that they're kind of they're starting to yeah the kids are playing that wouldn't ordinarily play. I don't think um, Howard Bellis was given a go on he, uh, and I, I think you'll start seeing a bit more of the prioritising of certain competitions because of that. Final point on uh, this week of, of football. Um, I want to talk. I, like we've been very critical of VAR, um, but there was that that spell with the penalties in in Atalanta. It seemed to do the job that it was intended for. It found the first one was outside the box, and then it found that there was actually a handball there, and that was seemed did quite ca- quick. Did, did it carry on into the box though? <laughs> well, what's yeah. The, what's the rule? The rule is if it carries on into the box, it's penalty. Well, it carried on into the box. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. I was trying to cut the video assistant referee some slack, but okay, all right. I mean, we, we didn't have any replays, so I didn't see him. I didn't really care. I just kind of thought, that's going to be silly, isn't it? And uh, and it was, because they got a penalty straight after, which you knew was a penalty as soon as he walloped it into the wall. You were like, they're going to give that. He's going to have hit an armpit or something. It's not a Premier League penalty, though, is it? Or is it? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think no, it's it different is. in Europe, isn't it? Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, it is, but it's still the... I think it's still a, a Premier League penalty. Was that unnatural, though? I'm not sure it was. I think that's the most natural position if you're going to jump up. I think that's what unnatural think, yeah. would have been if they were if he just like stayed like I a mean, pencil. Yeah. Yes, he's not great. We're on, <laughs> we're on radio audio, yeah. isn't it? But <laughs> <laughs> like a starfish. No, he, ju- no, he no, he didn't he jump, jump like a starfish, like did he? No, that's what Jack demonstrated. No, I didn't. There. No, I did the complete opposite of a starfish. <laughs> You'd be, you'd be useless at charades, you two. Yeah. Now then, Jack Simon, would you like a beer? 
Uh, can you pass me one, please? Uh, go for it. There's there's a box there with uh, with a load in. So uh, so do, have a route around. Find uh, find what you like. Here we go. What's this? Oh, what have you got? Darcy Blanche. I've got Paradise, so I win. Four point eight percent. Uh, we're playing top trumps. That's, that's the six. Yeah, six. There we go. Then. Sorry, I get yours now. Well, there's a, there's a bottle opener over there as well, so uh, so do go for there it and, go. Uh, and get yourselves uh, dug in. Uh, they're yours for the show. It's free from beer52.com and Blue Moon Podcast listeners can also get eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash moon and cover just £4.95 postage. And as an added bonus, Blue Moon Podcast listeners get two extra free beers, taking the total to ten. Uh, what do you make of them? Are they, uh, are they good? Mm, really nice. Excellent. Simon? Yes, can <laughs> confirm. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, they're, they're yours for for the rest of the show. Uh, Beer 52 find the best and most interesting beers from around the world from the greatest small batch breweries, and each month they deliver a case with a different theme. Beers come from places like Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, Finland, and California, but they also haven't forgotten their roots in the UK craft beer scene as well. There's no lock-in with Beer 52. You can leave at any time. Your first box will be sent to you next day and will contain beer from all over Europe, hoppy IPAs, hazy pale ales, refreshing lagers, and more from breweries like Aura from Italy, Ninkasi from France, Tempest from Scotland, Boss Brewing from Wales, and many, many more. If you prefer some dark beers in the case, then choose the mixed plan. If you don't like dark beers, then pick the light plan instead. Are you, uh, you, Simon, you seem you, you seem quite intent on the uh, on the on the label there. Yeah, I, was, I was just looking to see where it was from. Sorry, oh, where, where is just, it? Where is it? Uh, it's brewed in Belgium, Excellent. and it is a blackberry milkshake IPA. Excellent, going down well. Very well, Jack. What for, what's yours? I'm on a blanche here. And we are from... Where are we from here? I think it'll be Europe, because I think our case is Europe. Come on, Belgium. Jack. Yeah, sorry, no, Belgium. Un- another Belgian beer. Good. Uh, going down well? Mm, Excellent. Yeah. Um, you'll also get the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers, and they're also throwing in a cheeky snack as well. You can't have them because uh, we got rid of them a few weeks ago. Oh. So sorry sorry mm. about that. Uh, just go to beer52.com forward slash moon to get your first case of eight beers for free, plus those bonus two beers for Blue Moon podcast listeners. That's beer52.com forward slash moon. Now then, the number of racist incidents in football feels like it's been escalating in recent months, and Raheem Sterling and others haven't been quiet in calling it out, and rightfully so. The latest incident in Italy saw ex-City striker Mario Balotelli leave the pitch amid alleged racist abuse from the stands. This week, I've been speaking to former City winger Kiki Masampa about Sterling's decision to speak out. I think it's a good thing that he voiced out his feeling. And uh, I think if that's the way he feels it, that's the way he experiences it, people should, should respect that. He's talking about his experience, about how he feels things and how he sees things. And I think they should really consider that and do something about it. Because I don't think he's the type of guy who will just voice out something just to get some attention. He doesn't need that. And if he voice out something and he say something about that, then it's something that we need to take very serious because uh, that's the way he experienced it. And we should hear him and we should do something about it. And I'm happy that he's voicing out his feeling because I think there's a lot of players out there who experience something negative or something bad, but they wouldn't talk about it or say anything about it. So uh, I'm happy he does that and, and I fully understand him. Did you ever experience any any sort of racial abuse in in, in your career? Yes, yes, from Spain. And immediately after the game, I voiced out my feeling as well. Even on the pitch, we had a quarrel, and that's where he was 
being raised. And, and, and I told him, and I was very angry, but at the same time, I had to control myself to not dupe my own team. So um, then after the game, they asked me what was going on, and, and I voiced out my feeling as well because that's something that, that, that shouldn't be on the pitch. And uh, I think it's good that players nowadays just tell and say what it's all about. It is not something that you should keep away or something that you shouldn't talk about it because it has nothing to do with football. So I, I encourage people to uh, to voice out the experience and to voice out the feelings because this is something that concerns us all of us, and, and we should do something about it. It is definitely unacceptable nowadays. There's a lot of talk at the moment about whether players should walk off the pitch if there's if there's racist abuse. Do you, would you support that move? I will definitely support it because we have to consider people's feelings. You have to to know that when you do that, some people can really be hurt by that. And obviously there are some people who can continue their game and still be focused, but we are not all the same. And if somebody is hurt in such a way that his focus is not there to play anymore, that the will to play is not there anymore, then I fully accept that he walks away and and the game should be stopped because people need to understand that that's not part of the game. And if you want to win, that's fine. And just be better than the opponent, but don't don't try to to win in a way that you you say something. And I encourage that move that players want to stop and walk away. I mean, it's 2020 almost, and this is an issue that shouldn't be there in football at all because football stands for unity. Football is 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 the game that united people and it doesn't matter which color, which which race or which place. Uh, you can play football with people that you don't even know how to communicate with. And, and, and that's the power of football. If, if we accept these kind of things, we, we are making football useless because it, it shouldn't be there with the sport. It shouldn't be there on the pitch. So I definitely understand and accept a player who experience this abuse and want to walk away from the pitch and quit the game. Me as a coach, if I have a player who feels like that, I will definitely go to the referee and tell them, listen, we, 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 we stop, we don't play because my players are being abused and it's, it's just unacceptable. <laughs> This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Kiki Masampa talking about the situation with racism in football. On next week's show, we'll hear more from the winger as he talks about his time at City. But for now, it's time to look ahead to uh, what I call at the top of the show the annual defeat at Anfield. Um, If there's no Edison and it's Claudio Bravo and he's just had that display in in midweek and City are already stretched at the back, is there like, give me a reason to be positive about this game? Can you do it? Uh, Raheem Sterling. Sergio Aguero. Okay. Kevin De Bruyne. I'm coming round to, you, to your way of thinking. I, I, but you, you see, you take my point that Liverpool are... Pep Guardiola. I can go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I was a bit flippant in, in that, but <laughs> you, you, you see the point. Liverpool are a great attacking team and City are at sixes and sevens at the back at the moment just because of injuries. I know. It's, it's difficult to put forward a 
hugely positive case uh, for the defence. You would presume that he's going to stay with, stick with Fernandinho, because Fernandinho is effectively first choice now, isn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah. St- I'd probably go Stones over Otamendi. Probably, I although I thought it was weird that he didn't play him against Atalanta if he wants to use him on Sunday. Mm. Just because I think with Stones, form is more important Momentum. than fitness. Yeah. So playing him, I was a bit surprised at that. You w- yeah, you'd worry. I, I Run, do, runners at Otamendi, you'd worry, wouldn't you? That's the thing. I do wonder, though, how much it the game actually hinges on Fernandinho being in midfield. Oh. Yeah, would you, would you would you risk Otamendi in the team if you play Otamendi and Stones and have Fernandinho I, in front of them? I don't know how. I don't know whether you can kind of. I don't know whether you can do that with Fernandinho. Whether you can now kind of whether you can revert back to playing holding midfield because he's he's thirty four. He's had three months playing at centre half. I don't think it's that easy to then go back to your old position when you've spent the last three months playing in a, in a different one. one yeah I don't I almost think that would be slightly unfair to ask him to do that I, I, I get I get the premise of it because you'd sort of offer the two defenders that you're not so sure about more protection and sort of have more options in front of him but yeah I think he, he's just number one choice in defence until Laporte comes back so he's needed I mean he probably will play him in midfield won't he no. <laughs> <laughs> I put this is moving away from the defence a little bit but I'd play Foden Sunday bit of a wild card option yeah. or yeah I'd play Gundogan De Bruyne and Foden and he'd give him more energy in midfield because that's what they, they miss that quite a lot I think and they kind of need they need to kind of make sure they push Liverpool back in midfield a little bit and I think Foden's got that sort of energy and drive to do it we saw in the first leg against Atalanta, he's he's quite he's quite, what he's quite good at is that press that Guardiola wants. Mm-hmm. He love he loves to to chase the ball down when he's not got it. So that I mean, we, you look at last season, City were a lot more cautious there. Is Guardiola going to go there and and really open it up? Well, but if Liverpool are attacking, then they will leave spacing behind on the counter, and Foden is good for that. So I I think it makes perfect sense to play Foden. Even though it, on some degree, it would be absolutely mad call for him to make after the week we've just had, though. Is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But I, I just think, um, I think it would have been. I think he definitely would have played against Atlanta if he hadn't been suspended. Mm. But I kind of think the setting for him on Sunday, and you talk about sort of the Anfield, the record that they've got there. I think. I can uh, I can I can tell you at this stage it's uh, it's two wins there in the last fifty one visits dating back to nineteen sixty three. Yes, so I mean, Phil probably remembers them all. Not going great. Um, let's put it that way. And we'll be keen to, you know, we'll have a bit of fire about him to start. I would have thought. I think it could be one of those moments in time. You know, if you kind of, right, if you get, I just got Whitney then as well. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> uh, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> in the kind of. It's it's a surprise. It's a massive game. Boom! Throw there him he in. Is. He's man of the match. Spurs like right. I'm here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just kind of got a weird feeling that something could happen with him this weekend. I had a horrid feeling then. I just like I did the maths, and he was what three when City last won at Anfield. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So that's not uh, not not a great record. Um, 
I, I, we were talking before about City's problems. City, it feels like they've not really played consistently well this season. Um, have Liverpool played consistently no, well? No, no. But they go to the end, don't they? Uh, I think they were playing better last year than they were this year. But so did so did City. Um, I think they won. They won quite a lot of games late as well last year, didn't they? I mean, this is not a new thing. It's not a new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was loads of times when you kind of looking at the scores on a Saturday. It was around. It was around uh, this time of the season. Like City looked strong, and then Liverpool had like that Pickford goal late on, and it felt like Liverpool were clinging on, getting these late wins, and then City had three defeats in a month, and Mm. Liverpool took the advantage. But because Liverpool haven't been playing that well, is why I think City can afford to lose on Sunday and it won't be over. I was going to get to this. It would go to nine points. It feels like last season that might have been a disaster, although at Christmas last season it could have gone to Wait, 11. We... So it was like it's it's not it's not unheard of at this stage for it to be a, a problem. No, I think double figures is sort of different psychologically, but because they didn't win against a pretty poor United side, that kind of would suggest along with but the there, but Old Trafford is there, Anfield, isn't it? Old yeah. Trafford, Old Trafford to Liverpool is Anfield to City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've they've also looked like less than convincing against other sides, notably Aston Villa. Yes, and Sheffield United. Yeah, Sheffield United. yeah. Hey, so, flipping through it in his own net there as well. Yeah. yeah. So not not that I think City absolutely will recover a nine point deficit, but I feel like City will feel like it's not the end of the world because Liverpool. Now don't look as invincible as they seemed last season. What so in terms of tactics for City, what's what's the more what's the bigger priority? Is it going there to attack them or is it going there to stop them? I think if you I think if you can stop them, then you can pick them off. You got a better chance of picking them off. Um, rather than it, I, I think the way to beat them is on the on the counter attack through midfield. With Foden, <laughs> well, I kind of this is one of the reasons why I would say, yeah, it's kind of it, give him give him a go, because the the other, I mean, kind of don't want to talk about that too much, but the other reason I would pick him is because I would have Bernardo on the right hand side and I'd have Mares on the bench and Sterling on the left because I think Sterling and Silver give you more going backwards against the uh, the two greatest fullbacks that have ever worked, walked the earth. <laughs> um, I think they. <laughs> Is that sarcasm I sense in your voice then? No. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but I think I do think they will give extra protection, those two. Um Yeah, I think it's all about kind of it'll be a little bit cat and mouse, I think. Which might suit them, because they people forget that City are kind of electric on the break. We we touched on Fernandinho, will it be in the in the centre back or not, but where does Gundogan fit in though? I think Gundogan holds midfield, which is his best position anyway, isn't it? Um, I quite like him as an eight, but but yeah, he has been very good in in holding. And I think he should play there on on Sunday, but also with um, you play Foden and you get a bit of pace as well, which they don't have a lot of in the middle of the pitch. Now I wrote this question before the game in the San Siro because my my question was going to be Aguero or Jesus. You can I can't believe I'd be asking that, but you can see why. Um, it's got to be Aguero after, after midweek, surely, because I think I think, so. I think after the way that Jesus missed the penalty, he's playing really well up until that point as well. Yeah, he's got a linking play quite nicely. 
That flick was lovely for the mm. goal as well. Oh, it was. Oh, okay, in fairness. That uh, goal. Aguero or Jesus, which one do you go for and why? <laughs> I think you have to go for Aguero just because his record speaks for itself. But I think Jesus is a lot closer to sort of being the answer to that question than he was last year. And uh, one final thought. You mentioned Sterling as a reason to be positive. Uh, he always seems to struggle there. Is this the year that that will change? I don't know that. We'll have to find out. <laughs> I'll watch the game and find out. He's, uh, he's just astonishing, isn't he? I mean, what, 15 goals in 16 games already this season. It's getting to <clears> ridiculous <throat> levels now. I think he's got four for England as well. So it's like 19 in 20 games this year. He scored more goals than Lionel Messi in 2019, I think. Good stat, that. Good stat. Very good stat. Um, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, heavily caveated stat. Yeah, I just... He, he's the main man now, isn't he? He, he just goals. I mean, the way, the way he took his goal on Wednesday night, it's just... There was never any doubt. As, as soon as he won... As soon as he intercepted that pass... There didn't seem to be any doubt that he was going to follow the pass, know where it was going, and, and knew, bend it into the bottom corner. But knew every step, and knew that he'd just make that diagonal run, and the ball would come to him, and then he'd just pass it into the corner. It, it was the it was the epitome of Guardiola's City that goal. Yeah, I think it was seven touches in eight seconds. And it's in the net. Yeah. Well, no wins this week on the charity bet. We stay on £250 for the season so far. We're working with William Hill to raise money for the Christia Cancer Hospital in Manchester by predicting City scores. Uh, what are we going for for, uh, for City at Liverpool, Jack? Um, two all. A two all draw would be 10 to 1. So uh, £100 if you're right. Simon? I'm going to go 3 1 Liverpool. 3 1 Liverpool. Sorry to be a downer. Uh, it's fine, don't worry. Um, is uh, 18 to 1. So at least. Raise a bit of money for charity yes, if you're right on that Yes, one. I would be happy to be right and wrong on that count. £180 if you're right. I've gone for a 2-1 uh, Liverpool win. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> you thought I was going to say City win, then, but no, I've gone for a 2-1 Liverpool win. Have I uh, turned up at the Anfield Rap here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is 9-1 to one and uh, 90 quid if I'm right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. <laughs> Some of you might have noticed that Pep Guardiola seems a little grumpier than usual this season. It's certainly been spotted by Howard Hawking. Many have noticed it. I mean, how could you not? He's always been intense, a perfectionist that can always see the necessity for further improvement, a striving for higher peaks. But this season there seems to be an edge to him. Something seems to be eating away at him. Yep, Pep Guardiola seems to be grumpy. So what could be causing it? The results are a good place to start. Until you realise that City have won 13 of their 16 games this season, the Atalanta results still to come as I speak. Yes, of course there is a six-point deficit to Liverpool in the table, it's not as if we haven't been here before, with Pep. Maybe Marnie's dives have really got to him more than we first thought. The performances, however, may rankle with him more, as despite the generally good points return and cup progression, there have undoubtedly been issues with the system. 
Frustration from Pep may come from his own failure to solve such issues or the failure of players periodically to carry out his instructions effectively. Every season has results and performances like this, but if we ignore Guardiola's transitional first season, then the concern may be that a couple of poor performances, by which you have course mean Norwich City and Wolves, have come fairly early in the season. With Liverpool only dropping points once, there is already barely any room for error. Unless they go through a bad spell, of course, Liverpool that is, but we've been wishing for that for 18 months now. And linked to that for me is the fact that in a way every season gets harder for Pep. That might sound like nonsense to you, as surely winning the league twice makes subsequent triumphs easier and thus more likely, but I'm not convinced. Because I think it gets harder to keep the group of players motivated and playing at the required intensity week after week after week once they've already won a couple of titles. And then of course there are the injuries. But again, we've been here before. Every season seems to bring with it a lengthy injury to a key player. But this season definitely feels worse. Sane and Laporte's absent at the same time for at least half a season would rile any manager. And there have been a raft of other injuries. As I speak, David Silva is out, Rodri too, along with Zinchenko. And this time, the injuries seem to affect performances. What's more, at the start of the season, Pep commented on how he was going to change his approach and attitude with the players and become Mr Nice Guy. It's been reported since that that approach did not last long. Next up is Bernardo Silva and that tweet. I have the feeling, and it's nothing more than that, that the whole affair has had a damaging effect not just on Bernardo but Pep too. The backlash to his reaction will or should have started him. With an FA charge ongoing, the fallout from that tweet continues to hang over the club. Pep's response to the fury caused by that tweet was telling. He could truly not comprehend what the issue was. Another option is that history seems to show that Pep can be grumpy in press conferences when the next game is tough, as Sam Lee once alluded to on Twitter. If an opponent worried him for some reason, then he got anxious, which may come across as grumpiness. If he's confident that he's got the measure of the manager of the opponents in the next game, he's much more relaxed and stress-free. This is, after all, a man who worries about the most minute of details, but the press conferences themselves might not help his mood. It's long appeared so that Pep does not like his media duties, and this is not helped by some of the questions he has asked. Journalists that resemble a dog with a bone, asking about the same topic week after week, such as Bernardo's tweet, will rankle with him the most. Even asking last season if a historic quadruple was possible seemed to wind him up, as does the constant probing into his lack of Champions League success in recent years. For many games post-match, especially European ones, he may have to give numerous interviews rather than just a single press conference. But again, this is nothing new. Of course we all have private lives and we don't know what is going on in Peps and nor do I need to. It might just be the Manchester rain getting him down. He may be upset the cancellation of the Game of Thrones prequel. Or perhaps VAR has broken him like it has broken us all. Away from football it has not been a period of calm for Pep. His wife has returned to Barcelona to focus on her business, taking one of their children with her. This is the life of players and managers, nomads who are often separated from loved ones. But the situation will hardly improve his mood. The simple fact might be that after five minutes of waffle, I am overplaying the grumpiness of Pep Guardiola altogether. That he is no more or less grumpy than at any other time in his City career. That level of grumpiness is nothing more than a frustration that shows its face sometimes when things are not as perfect as you would like them to be. Because things cannot always be perfect, if they ever can. And maybe me and others picking up on a grumpiness is simply a protective reaction to the fear that one day Pep will leave Manchester and the club and the team will immediately be worse off for his departure. 
a fear that means we pick up on minor things and let them sow seeds of doubt over the future of the club's greatest ever manager. After all, I used to worry that a prolonged period of drizzle in Manchester would have the likes of David Silva and Sergio Aguero scurrying back to Spain, and yet here we are in 2019, watching them play still most weeks. But there's one other possible explanation for all of this. The other alternative, though, is too troubling to even consider, sending a shiver down my spine as I speak these words. Yes, Pep might simply be on the cusp of a midlife crisis. It cannot be long now before we see him psych himself up on match day with some prog rock, appear on the touchline in double denim, while spending every spare moment learning to play the acoustic guitar. If an overly flashy car suddenly appears in his driveway, we know he has succumbed. A real problem, if true, as a bit of genesis or a loss of rush is not going to fire up the troops when there's a place in the Champions League final at stake. What's more, the search engine results for signs of a midlife crisis include the following drastic changes in habits, mood swings, and impulsive decision making. And impulsive decision making is the true worry. Who's to say he won't stick Edison up front during the title running? Google also informs you that a midlife crisis can show itself anywhere from the ages of 45 to 65. Pepe's 48 now, but was 45 when he joined City. How typical City, then, is that the club has caused one of football's greatest minds to spend his evenings watching Top Gear whilst attempting to master the chords for Stairway to Heaven. To make matters worse, a midlife crisis in men can last three to ten years. Who knows where this may end? Corduroy slacks and a jacket slung over his left shoulder? It makes me sick just thinking about it. So it's down to the players to sort this one now. Only they can sort it, after all. They need to win the title this season once more, and it would help if they could win the Champions League too. It's the only way to cheer Pep up, and realise that true happiness cannot be found in a goatee beard, change of career, or Hawaiian shirts. City need you Pep, and need the joy that we will witness from you when Kyle Walker slander ball into the back of the net at the weekend. Hopefully the players can provide you with plenty more smiles in the coming months, starting on Sunday at Anfield. Hi, this is Kevin Hallock, and you are listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. This is the bit where you send in your questions. Do it on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Do it on the emails as well. BlueMoonPodcast.com is the place you can send something in. And uh, search for us on Instagram as well. Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, Paul Brock starts us off on Twitter. He says, as we head into a crucial month of fixtures, should we be worried about the stats from the Southampton match? That was just four of City's 26 shots were on target. Um, no, I think I'm kind of a product of the of the game. It happens to also do quite a little bit of United as well, and I noticed it with them. But you can panic in the final third, and kind of how many shots do you say? Twenty six. Twenty six. Four. Four or twenty six. Most I would say most of those were probably in and around the box that were kind of pot shots because of the way the game was going, and it's kind of it's a desperation. The only, like the I only... mean, if it gets blo- if a shot if a shot gets blocked, you don't know if it's on or off target. It's off target. Yeah. So I so it's a slightly misleading. It can be a slightly misleading stat, but I think that would kind of talk to them being too eager to get shots on goal. The only one I can kind of, I mean, it's it's 
I've not watched the Southampton game back, but the only one I, I can remember off the top of my head, ironically, is the one that Aguero used the top of his head for to nod over the bar. Oh, when yeah. I thought he pretty like that was the only real guilt edge chance I seem to remember them missing. Yeah, although I mean, did you think they looked like scoring? No, that's a different question though. Aguero isn't it? <laughs> scored. Yeah, Aguero's goal was their first shot on target, and that was their nineteenth shot. So. They had none of their first 18 on target and then four in eight in the final 20 minutes. Four in eight's a good record. It is a good record, yeah. Not not in 18 less so. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was a very strange game and a lot, of, a lot of the game seemed to be played in Southampton's box, but at the same time City didn't look like scoring until... It's, I mean, is there much of a case, though, that when the opposition... We've, we've seen it a couple of times. I remember Newcastle did it at St James's Park last season where it were, where they there's five at the back and there's just no room for City to manoeuvre. They take those, as you say, Jack, pot shots where it is a little... Like, it's a tiny little opening that they've... that, that You know, it, the chance isn't... It's not a, it's not an obvious chance. No, and it's... Um, that's something you'd expect of other teams but not City because you'd, yeah. you'd always expect City to find that final pass and pick a lock and someone's moved off a line and they've find a way find a way through. So it's quite uncharacteristic in a way but these things do happen. I, I, I take Simon's point that four, four of the last... <laughs> you don't want it is yet. <laughs> but four, four of the last eight shots were on target and that, you know speaks to their kind of late dominance. Um, but I do think it kind of, when you get agitated and anxious in a game, that's when you'll see... You start snatching at yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Emily Sheen on the emails asks, could Guardiola's comments about Sadio Mane diving come back to bite him on Sunday, or is he right to call out some of the soft fouls that Liverpool have had? Yeah, it's a really weird one, Guardiola's comments on on Mane. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced he has sort of dug him out over it. I mean, he he hinted at it, didn't he? And then we asked him ahead of the Atalanta game and he, um, or Male Sport asked him ahead of the Atalanta game. Oh, did you ask the question, Jack? I wasn't there. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I asked three questions. I got about 10 words out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the upshot was he, his kids always say, that Liverpool are lucky and he didn't think that when Mane got a penalty against Leicester late on that it should have been given. But he... I know I'm biased in this, but I'd say his kids have got a point. Well, I, I mean, the, the thing was, he said it like immediately after Mane had been booked at Villa and it kind of seemed, you could, if you interpreted it, that he was saying it about that decision, you would be like, why is a manager who's just finished his game at three o'clock. Also same... calling out something else that happened in the three o'clock game. Yeah, why is he like found out an instant that wasn't like the main talking point from a Liverpool game either? Um, but I don't, I don't think he what. I mean, no, but that's what I mean. He yeah. said it was Leicester, so yeah. I think there was more of a fuss around it because because of what happened. It yeah, was circumstantial sort. Yeah, of thing. He, he'd said, "Oh, circumstantial." Actually, actually speaks to the point he was making. Yes, yeah, it happened that day. Yeah, um, it, you know, people put two and two together, and it wasn't necessarily the answer that was intended. Um, but there's going to be a, the fact that it's come out that way means that 
Michael Oliver is going to have something in his head if Mane or anyone else goes down in the box. So, in that respect, it's uh, a bit of mind games 1.0. He definitely did. It wasn't um, the pre-match press conference in Italy. wasn't a climb down from his comments at the weekend. I, that's not the way I read it at all. Um, it's quite a long-winded response, <laughs> wasn't it? To yeah. The, to the initial question about Mane. Yeah, and he didn't want to. He didn't want to apologise because he he thinks he's right. And I think for the when he was talking about the Leicester thing, mm. he said, "Oh, Jurgen thinks it's a penalty. VAR thought it was a penalty. I must be the one that's wrong, or <laughs> or maybe not." And yeah, it's like this is not. A yeah, yeah, yeah. He. I mean, does it does it make sense for him to throw that hand grenade in there though ahead of this game? I don't think he thinks. Oh, he doesn't think he has some, thrown a hand grenade in. Sometimes, I just don't. I think he just says says, says things. Without says things think, without yeah, thinking. Yeah, I think he's just kind of that's just what he's like. I don't. Some some managers go into press conferences or like the flash area to do the TVs and whatever, ready to play with the a game. plan, like with a abs- proper plan. And the only time he ever has a plan is when it's a referee and decision. Against him, yeah. So post match, yeah. I don't think he. I can't. I mean, the, the, there's a parallel to be made with uh, Mina Raiola, which came before the derby. That was. I think that's but, the only press conference where he's actually gone. I know what I want to talk about, and that was about um, Pogba being offered to City or whatever. It yeah, was. I can't yeah. remember the story. But yeah. yeah, and he he knew what he wanted to say, and I can't think of many other examples but even with that one he still sort of it needed to be teased and coaxed out of him and he um even if he wanted to say it it still still took something whereas the the Mane thing was just kind of off the cuff and we asked him about Liverpool in sort of the written press conference after Southampton where he said it and he and he didn't say it he did make a slight comment about Liverpool but nothing about Mane or diving so it if it had been a message he'd wanted to get out, I think it wouldn't have just been in his match of the day interview. It'd have been in every interview he did. Yeah. yeah, he was on Tuesday when we spoke to him. He was really pissed off about tactical fouls being brought up, and he was really pissed off about the that oil on the fire comment. <laughs> that was quite a good response, though. I thought when he said he wasn't going to put more oil, when he he reflected Klopp's comments, didn't he? It was a brilliant response because um, I can't remember <clears throat> who asked the question, but. Um, <laughs> he, he was asked if he'd uh, if, he, if he was for the obs- listeners at home Jack's just thrown his arms up <laughs> <into the air. laughs> if he was obsessed with Liverpool um, as had sort of been suggested by by Klopp and he said well no and he hadn't even heard what Klopp had said and then the next question he um, repeated word for word <laughs> Klopp's answer <laughs> just sort of Guardiola at his best I think get that man his own that show was, that was one of the really interesting things from uh the new book that uh, Paul Bayouche and Lou Martin had written in his kind of morning routine is going over the day's media, which you wouldn't expect him to be that bothered about it. But they say that he, he reads everything. Does that scare you? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I'm comfortable. <laughs> no, that does scare me. Excellent. Right, well, uh, on that note, uh, I think we'll finish there. Uh, that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast, and we can put it off no more. It's time to prepare for the worst fixture of the season and grit your teeth for the trip to Anfield. If, though, you'd like to put yourself through the mill a little bit more, then this week's Patreon bonus show is trying to work out why Anfield is such a hotbed of misery for City. Uh, that's available for $2 a month from patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and everything back goes towards the funding of the show, so it really does help us out. While you're helping us out, we'd love it if you could pop over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating and a review on there as well. Special thanks to my two guests this week, Jack Gaunt. Thanks very much. And Simon Bakowski. Thank you. We'll be back next week to hopefully talk about how wrong I was about City's trip to Liverpool. See you then. was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast